You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, if you are a parent, you've been there. The days where you wonder if anything that you do matters, I mean, really matters. The moments where your heart feels like it's on the floor with boot prints all over it from the latest round with your teenager or young adult. Oh, the words we wish we could unsay. The times when the overwhelm gets too much and the lists we could all make of the mess ups, the mistakes, and the coulda, woulda, shouldas. Yeah, those come... Those come a lot more here in the quiet, empty nest season of life, Bonnie. Yeah, I don't know about you, but they do for me. <laughs> yes, they do. They didn't come as much like in the midst of it. And that might be maybe personality, mm. but I was like kind of full steam ahead in the midst of it. Yeah. But I think a lot of women do walk around with the coulda, woulda, shouldas yeah. every, yeah. every weekend and week out. And that is no fun. It is no fun. And you've got that extra space and time now to sort of sit and reflect on it. Sure. Yeah. And it's actually good to, to do a little reflecting in the midst of it because yep. you can course correct. And we have a special guest with us today who totally gets this and she's not afraid or embarrassed to talk about the messy, the unflattering stuff about being a mom. And her name is Rachel Marie Martin. Welcome, Rachel. Hello. I'm super excited to be here. And yeah, I'm, I'm more than willing to chat about the real parts of motherhood. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Because they can probably tell even by your accent and that little sentence you said, you're from <laughs> Middle Tennessee, but you're not. <laughs> I, I, I live in, I live in Nashville, but I, I grew up and spent most of my, my life in Minnesota and Minneapolis, which we sometimes call the frozen tundra. And when I lived there, my kids, I would tell them, put a smile on your face because it's going to freeze the second you go outside. So it, it's uh, <laughs> it's quite cold there. And since living in Tennessee, I do appreciate having about one week of winter versus six months. So that's that's a, a great benefit. Although the summer part, I will say that's a little bit long with the intense heat. But uh, I'm a mom to seven and I'm a stepmom, which I like to call bonus mom to four. And I'm now, uh, I guess it's a mother-in-law or as my mother-in-law calls it, mother-in-love to one. So there's, that means there's 12 different sets of Christmas presents under my Christmas tree every year. So it's, it's very busy, but uh, very, uh, there's a lot of reflecting even in the busy now too, because my youngest guy, he's 14 and the oldest is 28. So I'm in that, that kind of, I'm going to say the final countdown, like, I'm like, okay, I can hear the, I can hear the music happening, yes, that is exactly it. Yes. And I do like, I high five them when they graduate. So <laughs> I'm super excited. Like, woohoo. And Rachel is not just some random mom. We, we yeah. met on the sidewalk, although yeah. we're, we're not beyond that no, either. She has a book called mom enough. Um, it's just come out. Will you tell us a little bit about that? So I've been writing online for about 12, a little over 12 years. I started actually before that in these Yahoo groups. And then that was when in the like early 2000s, when everyone's like, you should do a blog where it was like, what is that? And so I thought I'm going to do that. And I started writing Finding Joy back then. And in the process of writing Finding Joy, I started writing letters to moms about my own real experiences that I was having. And through that process of writing letters, I went through a divorce and started my own business and moved cross country. 
and had kids graduate and all of that. And the letters kind of morphed. Uh, but my readers, the, the thing that they would always say was, hey, do you have that letter in a book? Or do you have this letter so I can give it to a friend? And I think that sometimes the universe is really loud, like put it in a book, put it in a book. And my current publisher was like, so they're asking for it in a book. Let's put it in a book for all of them. So it's a collection of really personal letters about motherhood that were written over the course of about 10 years. How, how did you find time to write? Writing was my time. I always tell moms, you have to, you have to have an outlet. You otherwise, and, and I, my big passion is you can't lose yourself in motherhood because I had so many kids. So that meant that my oldest would have friends. Some of her friends would be the youngest. And I would watch those parents, those moms go through this like process of like, I don't know who I am anymore. And then 10 years ago, when I went through my own uh, divorce, I was like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good mom. I think I'm a good mom, but I have no idea who I am. And so writing became a way for me to like express what was in my heart, but also in some ways an accountability to my own heart to live with what I wrote. Mm. Wow. I love that. I love that. So what, like, what time of day would you do this? When they were young, it was always late at night or early in the morning. Um, because I, and I tell moms this all the time, like you cannot judge, you cannot compare your season to somebody else's season. It's like, sometimes we're all in different chapters. So if you have little kids and babies and toddlers, especially when they're under five, your day is spent like, don't touch the stove. Don't go in the street. Don't, don't put stuff in the outlet. Like it's, you're, you're keeping them alive. Uh, so there wasn't as much free time. So I would kind of sneak it in here or there, like just little writing times or when they would take a nap. And sometimes that meant I would say no to the other things that there was always the to-do list, but it meant saying yes to my own heart and really rediscovering or reigniting who I was or am. That's great advice right there. Right. We're just getting started. It is. So um, your book has 52 letters, right? 52. Yeah. I've probably written close to 75, maybe even more. So we kind of called that part. We looked at which ones were like super viral. Those are in there too. Like the letters that people are like, Hey, I really want that one. Um, and it includes the, one of the first ones that I wrote where it was to the mom who feels like she's failing. And what's that letter, um, was one of the first super viral, I call it the super viral ones, but I remember I had written this other post, like about, you know, things mom should remember. And this lady named Angel wrote back and she said, I, I really love this list. I love all of it, but I feel like I'm failing as a mom. And I was like, Wow if she feels like she's failing and I feel like I'm failing a lot of the time, I'm going to write her back. Cause that's not, we can't, we can't sit in this. So I wrote this letter back and I went to send it to her and it was in the days of Blogspot where you could, or I guess you could still have it like an anonymous comment. And I thought, Oh, there's no email. So I changed a couple of things up and I hit, I just decided I'm just going to publish it. If we're both feeling this way, like, let's just, let's just talk about it. And it went crazy. And people would be like, you're so brave for sharing that picture of your messy sink. I was like, my messy sink. We all have that. Aren't we moms? Like (laughs) there's a moment of that. So I I really think when you open the dialogue to what normal is and that we all have these feelings, it brings healing. Oh yeah. So good. All of the me too's and the, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not alone. And the the fact that you put the messy Mm -hmm. sink picture out there as, Hey, this is 
a, an average Wednesday at my house. Like this is <laughs> right. life instead of the Instagrammable, you know, Pinterest worthy homes that everybody sees all the time. I think that's huge. Especially um, in the early 20, let me, is it the 2010s yeah. in that, especially in that period of social media, I would joke, like I would see these kids on white couches, toddlers, perfect with chocolate ice cream and not even a drip. And the dog would be sitting at their feet. Like I, I'm surprised mine isn't barking. I was like, how is this possible? Right. Because they but, went to Pottery Barn and staged that. Picture. Right. <laughs> That's why right. I've, seen them, I've seen people actually doing that in our, <laughs> it's actually restoration hardware in Green Right. Hills. I have seen those families staging those photos. Well, yes, I would say, but what's on the other side of that photo? Like you move over just a little bit. Yeah. Like right now, if I turn my screen, you would see like, oh, she's got a pile of paperwork right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think, um, and, and as you mentioned it too, the number one thing that moms need is encouragement. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons we actually started this podcast Yeah, in, in real life. True. Um, it's not the latest gadgets. It's not 10 days to a new you fitness routine. I mean, motherhood is a crucial job and one that our future depends on, but it's unpaid. We have no performance reviews and very little appreciation and comparison. And those little voices inside of our heads are constantly working against us. And I think encouragement is so easy to give and so needed. I want you to talk about how dads can help with this in a second, yeah, yeah. but, um, we were just recently in upstate New York at a coffee shop outside waiting for our coffee. And it was probably, I don't know, 20 minutes or something we waited. And there's time. a dad out there with his stroller and he had a three-year-old with him. And the entire time he's telling his, telling his son, go run over there to this thing, go see if you can go touch that and come back here. And he's talking about what kind of leaves do you see on the trees? It's just, you know, the kind of thing that moms do all the time, really. <laughs> he's engaged. There's no, there's no phone in a video yeah. in front. And we kind of, we were startled by it because it's so ubiquitous just to see a toddler in front of an iPad or a phone. And mm -hmm. we just were, we kind of were eavesdropping we kind of the longer it went on. on. It. Like, cause there's three of us yeah. moms sitting there, uh, empty nest moms, all of us. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, afterwards I went up to him and I was like, you know, we, we've just been watching you and not in a creepy way, <laughs> but right. right. Are just, I, I, we love what we see, you know, we've taught parenting classes for 20 years. And, um, it's just a really beautiful thing to see a parent engaged for 20 minutes with their kid in front of the thing, like, good job, keep going. And he was just like, wow, thanks. Can you call my wife and tell her? <laughs> like no one ever just thinks to go say to other people. We were at a restaurant one time and there was a table of probably eight moms and all of those moms, kids we're seated at a separate table, which is usually the kiss of death, right? In a right. restaurant. Mm -hmm. And they were all, they were engaged. They were well-behaved. They were writing with their crayons and having conversations with each other. And I couldn't, I couldn't not say anything after we were done. I went to the whole table of moms and like, Hey, I just wanted to say something about your kids. And every single one of them braced. Oh no. What is she going to say? This is going to be terrible. Right. Their mm -hmm. assumption is what did we do wrong? Some grouchy lady. Yeah. Right. Right. And I'm like that is just the most beautiful picture of motherhood and childhood and parenting that I have seen in a really long time. And you guys are awesome. Keep it up. I don't know what you're, whatever you're doing, it's awesome. And they almost, you know, they're tearing up when mm -hmm. they don't hear it enough. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? And what can we do to encourage moms more? I think well, social media is, uh, I think we feel more connected. Like we feel like we have all these connections, but yet we're more alone. 
more than ever. I get that comment all the time. Like I feel so alone, but I, I have all these friends and we like things and we don't have those really heartfelt moments where somebody says, you know, I think you're doing a good job. Like I used to write sometimes on the end of posts, like I'm giving you a gold star today because <laughs> we would do that for our kids. Like here's a gold star way to go potty today or whatever it was. You got a gold star in your paper. And somehow in motherhood, I think it kind of just became, that's just what you do. But we, no one has a manual. It's not like we're coming into it going, okay, so I know exactly how to handle the three-year-old who doesn't want to put on their coat right now. And it's, for me, it was sub 20 and I'm in a Kohl's store and it was the biggest battle. And you feel so alone. You feel like the world is looking at you at that moment. And I really think part of it is we don't want to get into somebody else's space too. We're like, oh, well, like how they were bracing themselves. So we hold back. We hold back on saying, you know what? I, I see you. I think you're doing a great job. Or I, I really, I appreciate what you're doing. Or are all those little niceties because we're social media, it's became this like platform where people could just respond. And I believe it makes us as a society go, oh, I don't really want to say something. What if it's in, taken the wrong way? But I love, love the idea that you said something or I think that's how motherhood should be. When you were telling the story about those moms at the table, it reminded me of uh, when I was in Haiti, I've been there twice. And the first time I was there, I went to this church that was up in the mountains and we got in and all the kids sat in the front, like all of them. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're not sitting with the parents. And then the moms kind of sat behind them and there was, everybody took care of everybody's kids. It wasn't like, oh, look at her child. It's like totally misbehaving. It was, we were, they were all in it together. And I remember thinking that is what motherhood is. It's, it's this journey of like, I've got your back or I can see that you're, you're busy here and I'm not judging. And the more we can do that, the more we can just, you know, hold the door or help the mom with the toddler that's trying to get the little car seat, like the stroller, whatever the cart thing is that they have now. I mean, it's a process. If you've ever observed, <laughs> like, like there's a manual, there's all these things there and they're holding the child that wants to get in. And so many times I'm like, Hey, can I just attach that? And there is this level of, you know, at first, like, Oh no, it's the judging, but then it's just, it's almost relief that somebody sees because okay. it's a struggle. I think to keep it all together all the time, because our lives are on display. Like our lives are constantly on display. Um, I think it was about seven years ago, my van caught on fire, which is another story, like okay. totally. I mean, and it just, I mean, like I've written about it is one of those things where I've talked about it, like what you should do. But the story here with that is, is I remember as it's burning up, somebody live streaming it thinking, oh my gosh, here's this moment where my vehicle is engulfed. My kids are with me. Everybody's safe. And it's being live streamed. I think that's part of the reason that we feel like we have to always have it together is because for those moments of, of unexpected or real or raw, all of a sudden it's, it's out there for the world to see. So there's this extra pressure that I really don't believe mothers had a hundred years ago. You're mm -hmm. correct. That is totally mm -hmm. correct. And I guess I didn't mean to say that I only find people doing it quote unquote, right. To say something, mm -hmm. because there have been plenty of the moments too, where you're holding the door for the stroller or you're, um, I don't know, it was a restaurant trick play one time and there's the kid squeezed ketchup 
Mm-hmm. The ketchup bottles, normal ketchup everywhere. And the mom's right. like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I'm, I've got the ketchup. Like, don't even worry about it. Yeah. I, I have been there, yeah. you know, and those moments are great too. Not even in the messy parts and the, the messed up parts, whatever. Those part right. of it. Kids make messes. They make messes. Yeah. They have, they don't want to put their coats on. I mean, it's just, it's just life. We all, it's just like the messy sink. We all have those moments and it's because kids, I tell all the time, it is a little human being with it, with their own will, their own personality. And we're like helping them grow into this adult. And just because we want them to behave a certain way, doesn't mean that that's going to be what's going to happen in that exact moment. So it's just understanding that's a person, that's a dynamic there. And um, yeah. And trying to not make it about a reflection of self and ability, but just being there for them. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, how in the world can we make it not about ourselves? It, I mean, I, honestly, that was the one of my first epiphanies was because we're both recovering perfectionists. We've said it all the time, two and a half years mm-hmm. of this podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, it, I'm joining you. The, God was like, you know what, Renee, these, these kids are actually not a school project. <laughs> that you were going to turn in when they're 18 Mm -hmm. years old they're Mm -hmm. human beings right you would do well to um like understand who they are that's so good raise them accordingly but it's even so even knowing that I would say they were I still felt like they were a reflection of me and you know what I mean I it's hard to not take it personally it's hard not to take it personally it's a real balance like because when we, when I know when I take it on too much as me, like too much, this reflection, like I should have done better. Then I lose grace to see their circumstances. And the biggest thing people ask me all the time, like, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? And I'm like, it's about grace. It's about grace for my kids, grace for my friends, grace for the teachers and grace for others and grace for myself, because I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to not have the right response. And I'm not going to know what to do. And the real irony of it is, is my third daughter, her name is Grace. And I have said for years that that child has taught me about Grace, my entire existence, because that is just how she was. She worked at Starbucks for three years. And as a Starbucks lover, I know that sometimes people, you know, that it's a little short. And I remember one time she said to me, mom, it's so hard on me when people are frustrating or they're cranky or all of that, because I'm trying my best, but no matter what, I might be the only person that's kind to them and I'm just going to be kind. And I thought that is so powerful, that attitude that she's demonstrating grace to others because you just don't know the other part, the other story. So as far as not taking it on, I just, it's grace. It's like, okay, I'm going to walk. I, you know, I've sat in the principal's office before, like, okay, it's my job to not it's my job to, to be there with this person and to figure out the next steps, not to make everything look better so that I feel better about myself. Cause sometimes yeah. it's just sucky. It's just hard. You know, you, you talk about how you can't be like, there's no such thing as a super mom and accepting, you know, that your weaknesses and your own, your own failures. Is there a way that you figured out like, Hey, what, this is important. This is not important. Important. Was that a, an epiphany moment? Was that over time as a mom? How did you learn to focus on, Hey, this is what's really important. The big rocks, right? <laughs> the big rocks. Yeah. The big rocks. Uh, 
several things. Sometimes when life takes something away from you, you realize what's really valuable. When my son, my youngest guy, he has celiac disease. And when, he, but before it was diagnosed, um, he was really, really sick. He was in the hospital for a long time and they didn't know what it was. And this is in the very early stages of finding joy. And I was in the hospital in a short stay room because the hospital was so booked, but they needed to admit him. So it's this tiny room and they, there was all these tests lined up. And I remember sitting there and the snow was falling. It was January in Minnesota. And I heard the like flip, flip, flip of his heart rate going. And I instantly was overwhelmed with gratitude for that very, for that heartbeat, because I knew that there were parents in that hospital at that very moment that would have prayed for that normal rhythm. And then I took a like a sheet of paper and I just started listing everything that was good. Everything that I could think of that was good in that moment. I listed like the gluten-free bread back then, 14 years ago or 13 years ago, that was so dense it could hold a door open. I was like, thank you for that. And it just became the way that I started to see. And I would tell moms that at the end, if I got to be old enough to to sit on my front porch and sip my unsweet tea, because remember, I'm from the north, um, <laughs> not the sweet tea, maybe a little lemonade in it. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I would be grateful for the little things. I'd be grateful for the times I played cards with my kids. And I'd be grateful for the times I would rock them or just the, the moments that we had. And I knew, again, it wasn't the big things the world was saying you had to do. It was those small moments that mattered the most. Yeah. You're the second person this week we've interviewed who's that is their answer. On really? How, how to yeah. survive suffering. Yeah. Interesting. Is, is gratitude. And she wouldn't let herself, um, she would keep the journal by her bed because she would wake mm-hmm. up in such immense pain, you know, through the night mm-hmm. and she wouldn't let herself repeat in a list. So if, wow. it, if it was on a previous day's list, she couldn't put it back down. I thought, <laughs> whoa, you are hardcore. Like that is dedication. That yeah. is. Cause I would but have it, things like, I'm glad my latte stayed hot, you know? So now <laughs> I'd have to say like, I'm glad my caramel latte stayed hot. <laughs> and my van is not on fire. That's right. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yes. The things you don't even know to be grateful for. Yes. Like that would yeah. be what I'm grateful I for, know. I think. I know. That's hilarious. Well, Rachel, do you think there's any stage of motherhood that is more difficult than others? I always say no, because I'm a person that said there's not about judging and everybody's stages are different and everybody's stages with different kids are different. Like I have many kids and not two were, none of them were the same. A strategy that worked with one did not work with the next. And they're tiring in different ways, tiring when they're newborns of like, I'm so, I just want sleep. And tiring when they're older of where are they? It's 1215 and I'm worried um, or what are they going to do? So I think that they all have their moments of hard, but just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's not right. So I, the hard means that you're helping shape and walking alongside another person, becoming who they're created to be. And the thing I, I tell moms all the time is, when we get to have our place where we, you know, we take care of ourselves, they get to see us who we are meant to be, then it's even more encouragement for them to just embrace their own identity. That's so true. And I, I kind of thought that everybody loved babies because that's all you hear, right? All you hear right. is, like, oh, babies are so sweet and <laughs> heavenly and wonderful. But it, it was like 
my least favorite now that I'm done with the, all the mm -hmm. journey through raising kids. It was my least favorite. And I felt like a horrible human. Bonnie and I have talked about this on here before. <laughs> Actually, probably our first podcast. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I would say things like Renee, like you and um, Hitler are the two people who never liked babies. Like <laughs> I would actually say that to myself in my head. Uh, and I was like, what is wrong with me? I felt like so broken and messed up. Right. Right. So uh, it's really helpful to hear you say like, yeah, it's different stages based on my personality. I'm going to enjoy more than others. And the child is going to be different at different stages. Right. I, I've told my kids, I love you no matter what, but right now I don't really like what you're doing. I mean, I think there's a difference between it. You don't have to like, I'm, I, I always tell people that like, really who likes vomit at 1.30 AM? Like, am I supposed to embrace that moment? Cause I'm not, I am absolutely not. I, I mean, I still can feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up when you hear that first sound, like, oh my gosh, this might be happening right now. As you run looking for any object, anything, dumping uh -huh. it out to try to catch it. That is like that for me least favorite moments ever, ever. And I don't really like the, I'm going to just be honest. I don't really like the, the years where they get like, it's like early teens where they get a little quiet and a, they're removed. They're like in your room for a little bit. And I tell myself over and over, it is because they are trying to figure out how to go to the next phase. Like I remember very clearly being maybe 12, maybe 13 not knowing what to do with my Barbies anymore. Like part of me wanted to like play with them. And then I, part of me was like, oh my gosh, you cannot do that. That you're too old. And it was this grief that I was feeling almost like this pulling away of childhood and not knowing how to let it go. And I really believe that I've been left with that, that core memory because it helps me with my own kids knowing, okay, this quiet part of them right now might be them trying to wrestle with do I keep that poster on my wall? Well, I love Super Nintendo. What do I do with it now? And not knowing how to kind of organize their own identity at that moment. So, but I will say it's not my favorite time because prior to that, when they're eight, nine, 10, you are like the greatest person in the world, at least for my story. Every time they would see me, they would run. They're like, can you come have lunch with me? Sit at my table. This is my mom. And now they're like, so drop me off at the door and don't, but you don't have to walk me in. So yeah. Yeah. Ah, right. I know the caterpillar gets to like get all cozy up in their cocoon, right? Mm -hmm. Before they become right. the butterfly. Mm -hmm. But what happens to the mom caterpillar <laughs> or the mom mm -hmm. butterfly? Mm -hmm. just like, what am I? Mm -hmm. We're like, are you eating in there? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> right. It's getting messy and mushy. <laughs> oh. So what did you, did, so you just reminded yourself in those moments, you know, that I do. I do. And I think it's because I've had many children go through that process. So I've seen it and I've seen it over and over and I've had a lot of friends talk about it. And I actually written a post called the loud silence of the teenage years, because when they're little, I, I wrote once about the noise, 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 like that, uh, that night Grinch move, whatever, where he talks about all that noise that he heard. Like that's what motherhood felt like me. It was constant noise. And then all of a sudden it's, quiet. It's silent. I could go on a, an eight hour road trip and only hear from them if they're hungry or need to use the bathroom versus an eight hour road trip. Even five years ago was the DVD player playing. I'm like, I know this movie because I've heard it five times now. Yeah. And it was just noise. And 
sometimes that loud silence, it, it can feel lonely because you're like, well, I'm still here. Like what happened? I was the coolest person ever. And now I am a source of Doritos for you. <laughs> well, if that's not it in a nutshell, that's I don't it. know what it is. Wow. <laughs> Here's a favorite quote of yours. Sometimes you have to let go of the picture of what you thought life would be like and learn mm-hmm. to find joy in the story you're actually living. So can you tell us where that came from in your own life and how do you think I it- can. I can. So um, I went through divorce 10 years ago and I have said over and over, nobody plans for divorce. Like nobody in their high school yearbook puts, you know what, what would be fun when I'm 40 is I'm going to put down that I'm going to get divorced. That would be awesome. Like that's not on anybody's hopes and dreams. Right. And yet it was part of my story. And when you go through that, it rattles the foundation of normal for yourself, for your friends, for your kids. And I was dealing with a really challenging time with one of them and having to say to to step back a little bit and to say, okay, this is the right chapter. And it was, it was painful for me to, to step back, to deal with the, the thoughts about me that I, I knew weren't true. Um, the, the truths about giving space and boundaries. And so I wrote that on a, on a sunny summer morning. And I had said, you know what, I'm going to give this space and to this one child. And then at that moment, I heard my other kids inside and I thought, you need to be there for them too. And this isn't what I thought it would be like, but I just need to keep looking for the good in the story that's now. And I've said this, uh, I said this at my, I I was remarried, I got remarried um, right before COVID started. So that's an interesting story right there, but like weeks before, but at the wedding, I said um, that our timelines for healing are different. And that sometimes to, my, to all my kids, because not everyone was there. And I said, sometimes our timelines intersect at points where we, we're ready for it to intersect, but it's not the other person's timeline. And part of grace is knowing to give the space for each person's timeline to, to re, realign again, I guess. Yeah. Wow. That's really wise and really hard. Really hard. It was. It was hard. When you talk about hard, like nobody plans for that too. Like you are like when you're, when they're little, man, you look at them and they just love you. And then all of a sudden you're like met with, I hate you. And I'm like, what? What? How is this possible? But going back to my own childhood, I think back to like the times I said that to my own parents and I'm like, so that's why there's all, they're always in the dedication and, and acknowledgements of my books. Like, thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As we all do, We've got some lessons learned in life. Mm-hmm. That's what we say in our mm-hmm. intro. Can you give mm-hmm. us a handful of lessons you picked up as a mom of teens and 20 somethings in particular? Uh, teens and 20 somethings. It's all about letting them go and giving them the opportunity to make mistakes. I have given this example a lot. And I think it's really important with today's world is when you and I were in high school, chances are there was an online grading. There wasn't a little skyward thing where we could log in and look at our grades at all the time. Now, my parents, like, they would get a, a grade mid-quarter, end of quarter, right? If I was struggling, maybe the teacher would email. But otherwise, it was up to me to make sure that that grade that hit mid-quarter and quarter was what my parents were, were wanting me to get. Now I can go on right now and I could instantly tell you if my kids were late for class, if they are late with homework, what their grades, I mean, I can tell you everything, but if I'm 
always on them, like looks like, you know, this is the first day my kids are back to school after fall break. And if I tell them today, it looks like you're late with an assignment, they're going to be like, it's because the teacher didn't put it in. But I'm also not giving them the space to fix things, not giving them the opportunity to go, oh my gosh, I don't like these grades. I need to fix them um, so that my mom sees what, like, this is what my potential is. So I think it's a balance. It's that kind of knowing what it is, but watching, observing, giving them the space to to figure out the rules. Um, My husband and I always say that we give them this kind of fenced area to, to play in, quote unquote, right? Here's your boundaries, be home by midnight, you know, all this. Now, if they break it, the fenced area gets a little smaller, but I'm not, we're not starting off with immediate, like, okay, this is exactly what it is. I'm going to check on you, all this, because again, I think back to when I was a kid, my parents dropped me off at the mall at 3, 3 PM and said, be by the door, by the gaming center or whatever at 9 PM, expecting that I would be there at 9 PM. And it was my responsibility to be there because God forbid, I did not want my mom walking through the mall trying to find me. So I knew Gosh, I would be there. The <laughs> uh, yes, right. yes. Only in our society right now, only prisoners and mental patients have as much surveillance mm. as uh, that age group right now, as our kids do. It's so much. It's, I mean, you know, I've got to find my iPhone on my, my phone, but like, it's just, it's they, they've got so much data coming at them so much. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should do that. And I think it can create this anxiousness. Like I've had to tell my one son, please don't look at your grades every day. It's not healthy. It is not healthy for you to be constantly, but I can see it. I could log in there and I could see, oh, we logged in again. Cause I'll get these alerts. And I just want to say, just take Turn a off. breath. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. My husband said, uh, he said that, like, let's say that that C that you got, you're not going to care when you're 40, you're going to forget about it. So it's like that balance, like, you know, pushing them to do good, but then then telling them, you know, you tried, you're doing your best. So it's kind of, it's both and holding them to the standard, but also letting them hold themselves, learn how to live up to that, what, the, what their standards are. Yeah. We, we were firm believers that you weren't to be friends with your teenagers, like not until they kind of launched. Right. Were you really supposed to be friends? Do you, how do you, where, where do you think you hit that friendship spot with your, with your grown kids or younger adults, adults oh. as they're adults, definitely not in high school. I mean, I, I think that I, I think I was, I still didn't get, I, because I didn't understand the memes. I was immediately like, Ooh, she is not cool. Like they would send me stuff and I'd be like, eh, I have no idea what you guys are <laughs> laughing about, but it's funny. It's a cat and something, but <laughs> it's a cat. I, I, yeah, I think that now I'm really good friends with my, my, my older kids and my 25 year old lives here in Nashville. And when I get together with her, it's just, it's, it's, it's cool. We are friends, but we're also like, I'm still her mom. Like when she needs me for something like, you know, is this chicken? Okay. Still well, I'm like, when in doubt, throw it out, take a sniff, <laughs> like check it out. But we're still like, there's still that cool mom part, but I love hanging out with her. She's fun. She's cool. And um, I believe we all get to that point of like, even myself, like, oh my gosh, mom, thank you so much. I can see it now because when you're in that other space, you don't, you don't, you don't see it. Yeah. There's some things you can only understand when you're actually doing them yourselves. yourself. Right. Um, Right. Laundry. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot there. Like, right. Right. 
Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about mom guilt because it's so pervasive. And I think it's interesting. There's not so much dad guilt or sibling guilt or grandparent guilt. <laughs> right? Why is there just mom guilt? Um, and how do we deal with it? Partially because there's too many decisions. Again, a hundred years ago, I don't think there was guilt. I don't think that mom guilt was there. I don't think we were like, you know what? I didn't play blocks today for long enough that I should have. Like, I think we were thinking I need to make dinner and work on this. And not that it's bad. I, the worrying tells me that you want to be a good mom. Like if you, if like when you worry, it's because you're invested in your kids. And I th- sometimes will worry that we're worrying and then we worry and then it just perpetuates and, or we feel guilty. Oh, I shouldn't be worrying or I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. Or I, and maybe it was five years ago when elf on the shelf was giant. I, I just could not do it. But I, and I thought to myself, I cannot feel guilt about this. Just can't. It's just not part of my story. I love my friends for what they got to do, but maybe my story was different with my kids. And they would ask me, they'd be like, could you do it? I'm like, you guys sound so much fun, but I know I'll mess up. I know it'll be in one spot for eight days in a row. <laughs> like I just knew it. Like I could, I, it was too much pressure. So for mom guilt, it was letting go of the things I knew I didn't need to do that weren't critical to the story or that were an add-on. And I think a lot of times the add-ons we think are requirements. It's required that you do this. It's required that you do that or all of that. And then we compare, we look at somebody else like, wow, they give $20 for that first tooth. I only gave two. And we start comparing our stories instead of seeing like all of our stories are completely different. And just because she did it that way doesn't mean it's a requirement for me too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen to that. I, I heard an interesting podcast that talked about, it was talking about mistakes and like the value mm-hmm. of making mistakes and mm-hmm. it was Freakonomics oh, yeah. podcast and which is so fun to listen to. And mm-hmm. we're saying that a college professor on, and she said, you know, I try to create an environment of like cooperation and we talk a lot in class and to, and for people I want people to just throw out thoughts and ideas. They don't have to be fully formed thoughts. Mm-hmm. She said, even with all that groundwork laid, I mostly hear from the male students, the female students. Oh, interesting. And she said, I'll, t- I'll pull them, you know, aside after, after hours and be like, Hey, I want you to participate. Why aren't you giving me your thoughts? And they would, they would say, well, it's not fully formed. And I didn't feel like I had, mm-hmm. an- I didn't want to contribute if it wasn't, you know, something that would be worthwhile. And I, I wonder sometimes if it's um, a male, female thing where they're just totally okay with just throwing stuff against the wall and seeing, <laughs> if it's seeing what sticks and feeling real good about themselves. And, don't you feel like we get labeled too? Oh, yeah. don't speak up so much. I mean, as yes. women, I think yes, there's a lot there's of labeling. Too there too. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you do start to speak up, mm-hmm. there can be a catch 22. When you right. start acting more male, yeah, so to speak, mm-hmm. air quotes. The host even said for the podcast, we asked for, we asked for listeners to write in and say, Hey, mm-hmm. tell us when you made a mistake and like what you learned from it. Mm-hmm. 90% of the respondents were male. They had to go really? re-ask the question and be like, we looking, Only women. we're looking for female <laughs> listeners. Yeah. When did you make a, make a mistake and why did, why was it valuable? Or what did you learn from it? We, I don't even think we view mistakes the same way. Oh, No. I think, I think women take them way more personally, Yeah, like mm-hmm. a fault in my character versus, Hey, I just tried that. And it didn't work I'll try it it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Walk it off, rub some dirt on it. It's very different than 
yeah, how females feel about it. Oh, I don't know why that is. I don't is. know either. Is it just like generations of conditioning or is it, I don't know. I don't either, but I, I think it's just worth, once you notice it, you can go, okay, well, I don't really like that. Yeah. I need to, what do I need to do to get okay with telling, what story am I telling myself about my mistakes? Yeah. Right. Right. And we would tell, we wouldn't tell, be hard on our kids like that. We would be like, you know what? It's okay. Like that you made a mistake, you stand up, you try again. And so like, when did we decide, wow, I'm going to hold my, that iron to my own spot. Like, that's really rough. I, I will tell you that my favorite, favorite quote of all times is fall seven times, stand up eight. And I love it because it doesn't say fall once, stand up and never fall again. It doesn't end with fall at the end of it. It doesn't say fall seven times, stand up eight, fall nine times. It doesn't go like that. It just says the, the implication is that you're going to fall. And then you're going to stand up and you're going to try again and you're going to do it. And that's what life is. It's this process of figuring it out. And for me, the mistakes sometimes aren't mistakes. They're figuring it out. It's like, I didn't know what to do in that situation. And most of the time we do the best we can with the information that we're given in that moment. It's not like we're thinking, you know what, I'm going to make this mistake. It'll be awesome. I'm going to talk about it. And then I'm going to feel cruddy for the next two weeks thinking about it. Um, so the mistakes are hard. I do know, like I will, it's so easy to like sit in them and to let them be a definer, but then it becomes, do I, is this truth about who I am or is this something I can learn? And that process for me has been a process of almost like a little bubble between what I'm told or what happens and what I decide gets to land on my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Kind of that getting curious about yourself that yes. we talk about a lot. So yeah, how Ooh, do I love I, that? Why did it go this way? Where's where this coming? Where's it coming from? Yeah, what mindset am I bringing into it? Mm-hmm. And just just for a few minutes, if you can just sit with the, because I'm telling you, younger Renee could hardly sit with those questions for mm-hmm. five or ten minutes. Oh yeah, because it's too squirm. It gets too squirmy yep. inside. Yeah, but if you can do that, you it's so enlightening. Yes, and. And I think we talk on here a lot about forgiving others and repairing, you know, you make a mess up with your kids and you're going to go to your kids and you're going to repair with them and you're going to repair with your spouse and you're going to repair with your friends all the way through so that yes, their forgiveness is asked for and offered and the relationship is good again, but we never do that with ourselves. We never do that. And like, I would go to Renee and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hurt you. I hadn't said those terrible mm-hmm. things. Will you please forgive me? That is not what I meant at all. Do I ever do that with myself? Right. No, right. it's constantly, right. you deserved that. Uh-huh. You just, you know, you how could that. you not know that? <laughs> right. Right. And, gosh, why are we not so much more gentle with ourselves? Yeah. yeah I've worked with a counselor and for a couple, three years now. And part of it is forgiving yourself. That's that whole process. Cause I will hold onto it. Like it's in my front of my face. Like, don't you remember when you were in seventh grade, when you did this? And I'm like, seventh grade is dictating what I'm doing now. Like I need to forgive that younger self and know that just because she spoke up then and people laughed, doesn't mean that that's going to happen again. And mm-hmm. it's like, like you said, learning and taking that time to be introspective. Um, mm-hmm. I'm an introspective person as already, I always say that bless my mom and dad, because I was, they were very logical, very like, this is the way it is. And then I was like, thinking about this. And I felt the world so deeply. I still do. Like, I I finally wrote like, 
the gift of being an overly sensitive person. And then people are like, don't call it that. I'm like, well, that's maybe, I mean, it's okay. I feel everything and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because that's also my superpower. And I think that the places sometimes that we struggle the most in, like if I was to cut off that part, I wouldn't be able to write the way I am because feeling everything means that I can tap into that part and then articulate it and put it into words. So, you know, learning that curious, that I love that phrase because we tell our kids, get curious, figure out what you want to do. Like sh it shouldn't stop when that, when the uh, age hits a certain age, we should always be curious uh, mm -hmm. and embrace that. All right. This has been so, so good. I think I want to, I want to wrap up with the eight things. Okay. Fearless moms do, if you're okay with that. So where is this from? Is this a, a blog post? It is a blog post. And then it's also in, um, it's also in the book. I have one more question too. Not yeah. to be provocative, but. Uh -oh. okay. okay. So, okay. So your title, Mom Enough, talking about, you know, you stop being so hard on yourself. You're enough. But like in the end, I think personally, Bonnie and I go back and forth on this. Like we're not enough. Like we're just human beings. Right. We're not right. enough. Like it. Right. I'm not enough for my children. My children need more than I can give them right. many times. So can right. you unpack that title, Mom Enough? I can. It came from the most viral post that I wrote um, called Why Being a Mom is Enough. And it, that that title came from, I, I mean, I've been doing all this writing. My website was just going um, at that point. And I was sitting in, of all places, Starbucks, not knowing what to write. Because I would have that as a writer. Like I would get to this place where I needed to get into flow. And sometimes I back and forth, back and forth. And a friend said, well, why don't you just write about why being a mom is enough? And I was like, okay, I will. And it came from, I don't know what, like sometimes when the writing is what the universe needs at that moment, it just, it just comes out like 22 minutes later, I was done. I mean, did a couple of edits, hit submit. And it's been on just my website alone. It's been shared over 2 million times. And it's been, it's just its own entity out there in the world. But it wasn't about that kind of like, you're enough, like you don't have to do anything else. It was like trying to get, reminding myself and other moms that the small things, the little things matter the most. Because this was in the, when my marriage was falling apart was when I wrote it. And I had always wanted to do like Disney World and the room that looked awesome and all these things, all these externals were coming at me as a mom. And it was like, fail, 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 fail. You don't even have this. And my marriage was falling apart. So fail. And I just was like, no, no, uh, no. It's the putting the bandages on. That's enough. That is me doing my job. That is what motherhood is about. And that's what that title is about because it's really celebrating the small things in life that in the end, going back to that sitting on the front porch, if we're all, we're all chatting there. Um, we're going to chat about that stuff. We're going to chat about, can you remember that time when you didn't know what you were going to do and you figured it out? Amazing. Mm -hmm. So I've written um, a lot about bravery. First book was on that and finding yourself. And this collection, when we were going back and forth, like, what do we want to call these letters? And I thought, you know what, this is what it is because underlying in all of it is in the messy moments when you're, when you don't know what to do, when you're at the top of the world, when you're sitting in the car line, you're always enough. You are because you're who you are. You're living out who you're created to be. Okay. That's good. I can get behind that. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I was sweating bullets. I was getting a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, that's so true and so good. And it's such a relief yeah. for so mm-hmm. many moms um, who can never go to Disney. There will mm-hmm. never be Disney. There will right. never be the beautiful nursery. That Pottery Barn nursery is never going to be your nursery. And <laughs> and it's such a relief to know, yeah, just showing up, just right. being who you're created to be is a beautiful, beautiful Because your kids thing. in the end need you. Yes. They right. don't need me and they don't need the sheets and they don't need, you know, all the fancy, right. fancy stuff. It's you. They, yes. they right. Want. Yes. Yeah, a couple of years, probably about six years ago, I wrote another quote that said something about like today in the auditorium, my you know, a son looked around and he wasn't looking for the perfect parent. He was just looking for his mom. Mm-hmm. And I just thought those kids, they just want their moms they or their dads. They That's who they look for. They're not in the car line thinking, I wish I had that car. They're like, I want to get in the car with my mom. And that to me is what mom and that's, that's the heart of it is for our kids, they're, they, they need us imperfect us trying us like not knowing what to do that person that shows up and uh, the world will tell us you should do this you should have that there's a million decisions and you'll make a decision today right now and you'll go on your computer and because you made that decision the opposite decision will be on that computer and you'll be like oh I should have made that decision and then it will just keep flip-flopping all over and I've seen it because I've I've got such a gamut of kids like you know, just pacifiers, go to Target, there's an entire aisle, an entire row of them. And then there's, well, you, you use a pacifier. And I just thought, enough, enough. Like that breath, almost enough was the breath. Like you are enough. Use your pacifier, don't use your pacifier. Do that, do that. But you are enough in who you're created to be. All that other stuff is externals. Put a stamp on that. <laughs> okay. Done. Gold star. Gold star. Gold star. <laughs> we got a gold star. That's it. That's it. Okay. So let's wrap up with eight things fearless moms do. Okay. Would you like all of them? I think we talked a lot about them. Like one of them was based off my quote, fall seven times, stand up eight. Um, and it's about moms seeing when you stand up. Like when, like really seeing it. Like you two. Well, like if one of you is having a bad day, the other one would be like, look, look what you got done like amazing. And we're so good at telling everybody else, I can't believe you did it. And we're so hard on ourselves. Like, I can't believe you fell. And so when you're fearless, that idea of it is really starting to see where you stood up, starting to see the good, Good. which is another one of them is focusing on the good, which can be kind of challenging at times when, you know, you come like for me, if I come into my, one of the kids' rooms and there's stuff everywhere, I'm like, kidding me? Like what? And then They'll be like, did you see I cleaned, I put my clothes away? I'm like, what? Really? With the Capri Sun containers? Like, okay. And so it's trying to see the good, trying to see it. So, yes. Um, and then I have that your kids will make mistakes. You know, th- we encourage them to watch Miss Frizzle, take chances, make mistakes, you know, all of that. And they're going to make mistakes. Um, I have, I've dealt with that. And if I can make it not a, a reflection of myself, I am, I can be there for them better. Um, and then this idea, I said that they're real. Um, and that evolved from watching social media emerge, watching my own story. When my oldest was young, I used to get a magazine. I don't even remember what it was called, like Family Fun or I don't know, whatever. But I remember it had like 
this checkered birthday cake where you make the cake and then you do these like checkered lines in it. I was all ready to do it. And I put it in the oven and realized I forgot to do the checkered lines. I was like, I already failed. And that was just a magazine. There was no social pressure. There was no putting it up there, seeing somebody else's cake. So the idea of the real, it's, um, it's the unfiltered, like, you know what, we all have messy lives. We stumble, we fall, we have laundry, never ends. Um, and that's okay. Um, the number, the fifth one was that they learn. Um, I'm constantly just like, you're just, it's kind of your get curious. We're always learning like, and we learn from our mistakes and we learn that it's okay to speak up. And we learn that all that process, we learn to guard our own hearts and do what we need to do. And um, that showing up matters the most. I, I really think like just showing up is a powerful thing. Um, when I was in high school, I got, in, I got in trouble. I did, I don't know, something really stupid and like high schoolers tend to do. And my parents, I knew I had disappointed them greatly, terribly. I hated it. And I had this basketball game and I remember looking up in the stands and seeing my dad there. And it was so powerful to me that despite my mess ups, and it's making me teary actually, despite messing up, my dad loved me enough to show up. So that's powerful. Because it wasn't um, the mess up that defined you in the yeah. first place. And he, right. uh, he knew that. And yeah. we can't let, let ourselves do that with our kids either. Yeah. It's not yes. their worst that defines them. Yeah. Exactly. Although now they like to make jokes about it. So oh, that's okay. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like a family joke. Everyone's got one of those. Something. Um, they do versus just talking. I think that's important. Our kids need to see that too. Like, I think I'm going to do this or maybe someday it's about action. It's just about taking action. And for me in my own life, um, I had to take a lot of action. I had to be, I had to to live out being brave. I had to live out all of that. Um, and then the last two kind of go together. It's they, they don't forget about themselves and it takes a village. And I think both of those, the farther I get into my own journey, go hand in hand is sometimes when uh, one of us rises up and does something, it's easy to think, well, who does she think she is? Or maybe I should be doing that or all of that instead of going, wow, that's amazing. I am so proud of you and I'm going to support you. And, but just because she does something doesn't mean I have to do it. Doesn't mean any of it. It means, but we can love each other. So sometimes taking care of ourselves, like last year I ran a thousand miles, which I don't, I don't, now I'm like, why did I do that? But I had this village supporting me, but just because I did it didn't mean everybody else, everyone that followed me had to do that this year. It was just what I was doing. And that was my act of taking care of myself because I'm sure you've said, I'm sure people a million times have said it on your, on your podcast. Like you have to fuel your own tank. And there's, if you and I got in our cars right now and it said that I have 11 miles to empty and I'm thinking I need to drive all the way across Nashville. I'm like, I'm going to push it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. There's no way. Cause I know I wouldn't do it yet. We do with our own lives. We're like, you know what? I'm completely empty, but I'm going to push it. And that's where the village and the friendship part comes in. It's sometimes a friend saying, you need to take a break. I'm going to come in your house. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean the kitchen. And then we go, okay, I'm going to let you in and do that. Because um, that's powerful too. That accepting mm -hmm. of help, accepting of somebody coming in, it teaches us how to give back too. Yeah. And you really can't do that if you're not, if you don't have a village, like a sounding board. I needed other women. I, I, I remember- mm -hmm 
talking weekly with other women going, okay, is this normal? <laughs> right. Here's right. what, here's what I'm experiencing. Um, homeschooling these two children. Is this normal? And they would be like, oh, I had the same problem or no, <laughs> no, you need, yeah, you do need to stop. And reassess said no is so powerful that's a friendship there because sometimes yeah. we're like yeah it's not. we stay up here yeah when we need to be down low we need to be yes. like in the in the kind of gritty part of it yes absolutely yeah you got to be able to you got we always say that find your people they're out there find your people yep. and be relentless about it yep and construction uh when you're building when you have a damaged joist on the floor mm -hmm. There's a thing called a sister joist that comes alongside Ooh. of it, braces that damaged um, joist, and it together they make the building stronger. And there's no accident; it's called a sister joist. Yeah, like no, I know eyes are generally in construction, but the universe knew that it would be <laughs> called a sister joist because that's how yeah. we work together the best. And yeah, I just I just love that image. I love that. That image yeah. is powerful. That's yeah. cool. So many times in this interview, you've talked about, I mean, you've just told us stories and that's something I've learned recently um, about switching your brain out of fear to joy is they call it building a joy house. And it's just the stories of overcoming that you tell mm -hmm. when you share them with other people, um, you know, your brain waves actually get in sync. Mm -hmm. so as you're telling the story, our brain waves are syncing up with you and they're, you're creating joy and you're, you're creating wiring joy pathways in your brain and you're creating like a family history here of remember this, this mm -hmm. thing, remember mm -hmm. when the thing caught on fire and here's how we overcame, even though the person was live streaming it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> remember when, you know, I'm sitting in that hospital room and, and then I started making that gratitude list like that. That's mm -hmm. a pivotal story in your life. And it's just super powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm just digging into that more and more. And yeah. so I'm kind of attuned for it and you've done it over and over again. It's super helpful. These markers. So yeah. helpful. Don't forget the bookmarks. Yeah. That's what that is. A joy bookmark. I yeah. love That's good. This has been so yeah. fun. It's been super fun. I enjoyed the the chatting and the, the telling of stories. And you think about stories, that's been the, the, the way that throughout time we've passed down legacy and gave and given examples and learned and stories are powerful, especially because it gives somebody else an opportunity to see their own story in the story. And I really believe that's why we love underdog stories. Like, that's why we're like, oh, I love that movie. It's so powerful. So yeah. Rachel, tell us where people can find your book and Mom Enough. Okay. Well, you can find Mom Enough, uh, any major bookseller, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books A Million, Amazon. Um, it's all there. And you can find me at most people find me on Facebook at Finding Joy Blog. Type that in. You'll you'll find my face pop up. And um, I'm also online at FindingJoy.net. FindingJoy.net. Awesome. So great to talk to you. Thank yeah. you so much for your time today. Yeah. You're so welcome. It was awesome. very fun. So great to meet Super. you. Yeah, you too. We'll have these links and everything on our website as well in the show notes. Just askyourmom.com. And you can connect okay. with us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're listening and you would take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family, we would appreciate it. Sure. And you can always send us your topic suggestions to just ask your mom podcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on just, just ask, ask your mom. mom.